Let's turn to Acts. Um, we're, we're turning to Acts again. This is our second last outing in the book of Acts. If you're using your Discover Notes, boys and girls, it's page 44 of the Discover Notes. Hope you've enjoyed using the, the notes uh, this term to help you figure out what's going on in the sermons and what's going on in the passages we look, we're looking at. So Acts chapter 28, the very last chapter of the book, uh, and we're just almost finished, but we are going to take it in two chunks. Uh, so a much shorter passage this week than it was last week with the storm and the shipwreck. Uh, let me recap. Paul is still under Roman arrest. He's been found innocent in every trial, but still not released. He's on his way to Rome to be tried by Caesar and judged by him. But the ship was caught in a storm, blown off course and run aground. Paul and everyone else on board swam through pounding waves to get to the shore. And that takes us to Acts chapter 28 and verse 1. Let's read. So once safely on shore, we find out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and, after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Okay, and we're finishing there, so much shorter than last week. Um, how do you get to know someone? How do you get to know someone? My, like, my kids like to play the board game Guess Who?, Isla, you want to look up for this bit? Guess who? Yeah. Uh, she loves it. Uh, she really loves it and is um, surprisingly good at it. <clears throat> um, if you've never played the game before, two players each get a board like this and they uh, pick a card with a face and name on it and they keep that to themselves. Um, each player has a board with all of the cards, uh, faces and names, and you take it in turns to ask about each other's character. So does your person have a hat? The answer is no, then you fold down all the characters with hats because it's none of them. Does your person have a beard? Yes. Oh, that's a good one if you get a yes to that question because you fold down all the people who don't have beards. Um, and it's a race to figure out who is on the other player's card. It's pretty simple. And when I play Isla, I usually lose. And uh, even though I usually lose, I still enjoy the game except for one thing. Look at this guy. Now, maybe you can't see, so let me blow this up for you. Look at this guy. You would not believe how many times I picked this card. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Please, this is being immortalized in recording. I had no heckling. This, do you know this was easier when nobody else was here? Um, you wouldn't believe how often, now I'm, I'm not bald of course, but uh, 
I don't get short haircuts anymore either. Let's just say that. Look, Guess Who is fun, but it doesn't help us to get to know the characters. The Richard character, for example, is sadly bald and does need to trim his beard, uh, but I'm sure he's a witty, lovable, intelligent, and certainly most modest and humble chap. If we want to get to know someone, we need to talk with them, don't we? We need to ask about them, spend time with them, see what they do, see how they treat people, see what they're interested in. I can't wait to get this slide down. Um, Today in Acts, Paul meets some people who don't know about Jesus and don't know the true God. They don't know what to believe. But as they see Paul and see what what God does to Paul and through Paul, they do get to know God. God shows them what he's like. So here's our big idea for today. People believe all sorts of things, but the true God overcomes death with life. People believe all sorts of things, but the true God overcomes death with life. Let's uh, focus in on the first part of that to begin with then. People believe all sorts of things. Today's episode begins on the beach, not a sunny paradise beach, not a Malta beach. If you go look for a picture on, on Google later of a Malta beach, but a stormy, windy beach with sand and sea and spray whipping around and waves pounding in. 276 people have just jumped overboard from their ship that was limping towards land and then ran aground on a shallow sandbar a little bit out in the water. Um, They've had to swim for their lives, but verse 1, they've made it. Every last one of them, in fact, has made it alive to the shore. They don't know where they are, but at least they're off that boat. They're safe at last. Then some local people arrive, and Paul and co. learn that the two-week storm has blown them all the way from Crete to Malta. I'm going to put up a map for this uh, so you can, see, uh, you can see where they've been. So they started off on the, bo- on the, on the right-hand side. They were heading for, for Rome. They kind of uh, had a lot of trouble getting uh, around to Crete and Fair Havens. They wanted to get over to Phoenix because that was a better port to put the, bo- the boat in for the winter. But then a storm whipped up and drove them out into the sea, and they didn't know which direction they were going. They thought they were headed for Africa, and they were going to get run aground on the sand, uh, but it's blown them away off, uh, and they've ended up on Malta, this tiny island in a big blue sea. And it's a bit of a, it looks like a lucky escape, doesn't it? Malta's actually not as big as the picture on this uh, map. This is a slightly cartoonized map. Um, so it feels a little bit lucky that they hit land at all although it wasn't luck, and more on that later. But the islanders arrive. Sadly, I believe they're called Maltese, and not Maltesers. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, So funny, I lost my place. Um, The Maltese spot the wreck. They spot the 276 wet, bedraggled people kind of washing up on the shore, and they come to offer help. Uh, First things first, they build a fire so that everyone can get warmed up. They get the fire pit out. Paul helps to gather fuel and picks up a bundle of sticks with a snake lying inside. And Luke describes it as a viper, which means it's a venomous biter, not just a squeezer, you know, the ones that wrap themselves around. Paul says it fastened itself on Paul's hand uh, and that the islanders saw it hanging from his hand and expected him to swell up and die. Um, This is an awful moment. This is a real disaster. Paul has survived riots and murderous plots and a storm and a shipwreck only to be bitten and killed by a snake. Talk about bad luck. But then the Maltese don't believe in luck either. Look what they say in verse 4. This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, 
justice has not allowed him to live. So here's something that people believe. They believe in justice, in fairness. And every culture in the world has a sense of justice, that when people do wrong, they will eventually get what's coming to them. They'll get punished. They'll be found out, if not by police and governments, then by God or by karma or by fate. Bad things will happen to bad people and good things will happen to good people. The universe won't let bad people get away with doing bad things. That's what a lot of people believe. Every culture has a version of it. Only the way I just put it doesn't make sense at all. It's a very silly thing to believe. It's very silly to believe in justice. It doesn't make sense. And it doesn't happen either, does it? Bad people get away with doing bad things all the time. But we hate injustice, don't we? we it kind of burns within us. If you get a film where there's a false accusation against the main character and oh, the whole film, you're just, you can't wait for this to be resolved and for them to to be um, shown to be right. And we have a real sense that there's justice and that there's right and wrong. People believe in justice. You know, the, the author of the Narnia Chronicles, C.S. Lewis, he wrote, um, he wrote, when I was an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Where does our sense of justice and rightness even come from? It can't come by accident or by you know, social conditioning. Either there's a God and everything matters or there isn't and nothing does. Uh, but people try to believe that there's no God and everything still matters, but that makes no sense. It doesn't work. Back on the island, uh, Paul, of course, does not die. Um, and I take it you weren't fooled when I said that he did um, just a moment ago. Paul didn't die. So verse 5, Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. So Paul doesn't die, but it's not justice at work. It's God. And we'll come back to that. Uh, but when Paul doesn't swell up or turn purple and explode, the people change their minds. The God they call justice has not come hunting for Paul after all. Instead, it's Paul who must be a God. Um, they've seen these snake bites before, and they obviously know that it always means death. Until now. Until Paul. He must be a God. And of course, the, poor, uh, the Maltese are wrong about that too, and they soon learn. Uh, but... Um, People believe all sorts of things. And it's easy to look down on these islanders, isn't it, uh, for what they believed or for quickly changing their beliefs like swimmers bobbing about in the spiritual waves. Uh, but let's, let's say two things about these, uh, these islanders. Uh, first, at least they changed their minds when the evidence pointed in a different direction. That's what we want people to do uh, with the evidence for Christianity. So, for example, with the evidence for the reliability of the Bible. We'd love people to read a book like, Can We Trust the Gospels? and change their mind about that. Uh, or we'd love them to read a book like, uh, Your Verdict on the Empty Tomb, and change their mind about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, we want people to change their mind when they see the evidence. <laughs> Meanwhile, Christians around the world are ignoring evidence and, and falling for everything from health and wealth, prosperity gospel to the latest right-wing political uh, conspiracy as if, as if gullibility was a spiritual gift. 
at least uh, the Maltese people were wrestling with the evidence in front of them. Uh, and I hope, I hope we're all doing the same wherever we are uh, in terms of faith. Uh, so that's one thing. At least they changed their minds. The other thing, let's, not look, let, let, let's look back in time, but let's look, not look down our noses. How many people today have beliefs that don't make any sense? Um, how is there still room in the newspapers for astrology? Uh, Maybe in Ireland, I should avoid going on record with what I think about fairies and the little people. Like, do we all know that we're all in on this? Well, let's, let's not talk about that anyway. Um, I mean, not to mention, oh, I was listening to the radio one day, and someone had lost a wedding ring, I think it was, and oh, the suggestions that poured in about picking up combs or throwing salt over your left shoulder or, uh, or I forget all of the weird ones. And then there's there's healing energies and crystals and auras. It honestly baffles me what people will believe and pay for, <laughs> without question. Uh, not to even mention that the vast numbers of people who, who uh, you know, treat someone or something else as God and pour their whole lives into serving it and worshiping it and paying for it and thinking that it's going to bring them safety and fulfillment in life. People believe all sorts of things. So let's make sure we're listening for uh, our friends saying or doing something that shows a little bit about what they believe or what's taking God's place in their lives. And that gives us a chance to tell them how Jesus is different, how Jesus is better, how we really, uh, we really can believe in him uh, and why he really is the answer to everything we're looking for. So people believe all sorts of things. But what should we believe? What should we pour our lives into? What should we look to for safety and fulfillment and answers to questions like justice? Who is God? What is he like? How do we get to know him? Um, how do we play guess who with God? Well, that, that's the question really facing the people of Malta on their encounter with the Apostle Paul. Um, they've seen a snake bite. They thought it was justice. They've seen him not die. They thought he's a God. What's real? They need to find out. So um, here's what they find out as, uh, as they encounter the Apostle Paul. So here's what they find out. The true God overcomes death with life. The true God overcomes death with life. So uh, let's talk about people who work in the background. Um, do you know what it means to work in the background? Do you know what that means? Um, it means people don't see you working. They don't notice your work. And they might not say thank you either, but they benefit from your work without even knowing about it. I remember uh, being in some school musicals. Uh, some of us would be on stage, never me, uh, but acting a big part. Um, everyone noticed them. I used to play in the orchestra. And if you played a really loud wrong note, people would notice. Um, but of course, I didn't, you know. Uh, <clears throat> some people, though, had the job to dress head to toe in black. Uh, and move props and artwork and scenes uh, between the different parts of the play. So uh, as one part of the pay, play finished, the lights would go off, and this little squad of theater ninjas would come out and move everything that needed to be moved without being seen. They worked in the background, in a way. <laughs> People who work in Vodafone's broadband internet uh, work in the background. I never thought about them until the entire country's internet went down a few uh, weeks ago, one evening, and to be honest, it's been a little patchy since uh, at times. Probably get this video taken down off YouTube for saying that. But uh, And this is our first time back in the church building since the 4th of October, I think. And we've had some lovely people like Beverly and Laura working in the background to clear uh, a veritable jungle of cobwebs. 
uh, and to make sure the toilets are clean and all of that. And we could say a big thank you today, but none of them, uh, none of us saw them working. They worked in the background. Um, God is working in the background in this story. What is God up to in this passage? Some of the things we've seen already. Uh, so, for example, God brings the ship to land in a storm. Uh, those of us in the room probably not make out as much of this map as we did of the, the last one. But what were they trying to do? Remember, they were in the middle of the map at Crete, trying to sail just a little bit along, 30 or 40 miles along the coast to find a better harbor. They got whipped out into the sea. Where did they think the storm was carrying them? All the way down to Africa, down to these sandbars down here. Um, where did they end up? Malta, this tiny island, so tiny you probably can't even see it from the back row. This tiny little dot of land in a big blue sea. Very little coastline actually pointing in their direction. It's bigger from the other way, but um, it's kind of amazing that they hit it at all. Uh, and it's not even that far off course on their way to Rome, is it? It's kind of, they have been blown in the right direction. Uh, so God is, is bringing the ship to land in a storm. That's one thing. Uh, another thing, God rescued everyone from the shipwreck. 276 people jumped into the cold, choppy sea. I don't think the Mediterranean is quite the same at that time of year. And 276 people made it safely to shore, just as God promised Paul. What else has God been doing in the background? Well, he saved Paul from this venomous snake. We don't know anything about the snake, really, but it's obvious what the local people expected to happen. Paul should have uh, turned purple and popped from that snake bite, but it didn't even get sick. Uh, and we didn't... Um, we didn't mention it earlier, but the people of Malta see the snake dangling from Paul's hand with its venomous fangs stuck into his, uh, into his muscles so that every drop of venom is going to get in there. You know, it's not just a little quick nip and, and away, but it's actually dangling there. Uh, and they say, Paul must be a murderer. If something this bad has happened, he must be, he must be guilty. Now, we know that Paul uh, is a prisoner. He's under Roman arrest uh, on his way uh, to trial by Caesar, but that he's been found not guilty by Governor Felix, Governor Festus, King Agrippa, not guilty of rioting, not guilty of troublemaking with the Jews. But I want to just think a little bit about this idea of him being a murderer. Because we immediately think, well, of course he's, of course he's not a murderer. But let's think back through Acts for a minute. Let me show you a few verses, or I should have put them on the screen, but I didn't. So you have to listen to them. So first, back in Acts chapter 7, there's the account of the stoning to death of a Christian called Stephen. Um, Luke tells us, at this, uh, the members of the Sanhedrin covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And that's, that's Paul, isn't it? Just one chapter later, we find Paul uh, or Saul preparing to go to Damascus to persecute Christians there. Um, and Luke says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And here's what Paul said himself in Acts 22. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. And here's what he said to King Agrippa just a few weeks ago. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. 
Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. So we read what the Maltese people say, and we think, well, of course, Paul, of course, Paul's not a murderer. But that's not all that easy to defend from the book of Acts. It doesn't say that he physically killed anyone, but it talks about murderous threats, incitement to blasphemy, which is a crime punishable by death, casting his vote against people so that they would be put to death, guarding the possessions of the people who killed others. It's just about as close as you can get, isn't it? And that's to say uh, nothing of Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount when he says that hating people is like murder. In the small scale here, Paul is innocent and he shouldn't really be a prisoner and God overcomes death by snake bite with life instead. But in the bigger picture, Paul is not innocent and he is deserving of death as we all are for the way we've treated God and others, uh, turning our backs on uh, the one who made us and um, treating those made in his image with hatred and anger. In the bigger picture, Paul is guilty and so are we. And yet through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God overcame death with life, the death we deserve with the life Jesus shares. That's what God is like. So what is God up to uh, in this passage? Some things we've seen already. He brought the ship to land in a storm. He rescued everyone from the shipwreck. He saved Paul from a venomous snake. Uh, what else? Let's read the rest of the episode from verse 7 and just remind ourselves. Uh, so look at verse 7 if you've got it open. Uh, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Uh, it's been a little bit tricky at making Christmas plans this year, hasn't it? Um, I wonder if you managed to figure it out yet. Uh, we'd all like to spend time with family that we don't see very often, uh, but I think even if, even if COVID disappeared overnight and, this, and there was a, music, uh, a new magical reality, I still don't think any of us would really want 276 guests uh, to arrive in one go, would we? That's what happens to Publius, though, in verse 7. I mean, I guess he must have had a nice enough estate and room to, pe uh, to keep people, but uh, uh, 276 guests arrived for three days. <laughs> um, and his father is seriously ill. And these guests, they've not all come in their nice new winter coats and bringing you know, gifts. They've eaten practically nothing for two weeks in a storm. And probably whatever they did eat, probably, you know... Anyway... Uh, maybe Publius only took in a little group and he sorted everybody else out with accommodation elsewhere. It doesn't really matter. His father has fever and dysentery, probably. Uh, dysentery is, um, dysentery is uh, uh, a bit like it was an, infl it's an inflammation of the guts. Uh, so if you think about a, a diarrhea vomiting bug that goes on for months or years, uh, it's kind of like that. Uh, imagine that. Four months, average four months, possibly up to two or three years. Um, it's, it's traced in Malta, interesting side note, um, to a microorganism found in the milk of Maltese goats, and they call it Malta fever. I don't want to put anyone off from going there. I dare say we've figured a way to deal with it by now, but 
just not have goat's milk, for example. Um, so just imagine a tummy bug that would last anything from two or three months to two or three years. Nightmare. That is just like the wor- I mean, that's the worst thing I can imagine. Uh, but good news, because the divine God Paul has come to drive out snakes from the island and bring healing. Uh, St. Patrick Paul. No, uh, Paul's not a god. Paul prays to the true God who heals the man through Paul. And then sick people from all over the island are brought to be cured through this servant of God. That's great news for the people of Malta, isn't it? Uh, And remember, Paul and the crew were supposed to winter in Crete, nowhere near Malta. They were never supposed to be on Malta. Malta was never part of their plan. And yet what a blessing for the people of Malta that out of the trial and hardship of the storm and the shipwreck and the snake bite comes healing and restoration. What is the true God like? He overcomes death with life. So what is God up to in this passage? Well, he brought the ship to land in a storm. He rescued everyone from a shipwreck. He saved Paul from a venomous snake bite. He brought healing to many on Malta. And lastly, God provides for his work to go on. Luke doesn't mention it, but since 276 people from the ship spent the winter in Malta, I think we can safely assume that Paul spent the next few months on Malta telling the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to anyone who would listen. That's the pattern of Acts where there's a miracle, there's a message to be shared, and a message about Jesus who overcomes life, uh, overcomes death with life. Um, In which case, there's even more for the people of Malta to be thankful for. The unplanned, unscheduled arrival of the gospel in Malta. Life out of death once again. They certainly respond with gratitude and kindness and generosity. They supply everything needed for the others to set sail for Rome. Verse 11 tells us there's another ship wintering in the island that could take them onward. Uh, And in times when you had to bring your own supplies for the journey, there's no kind of onboard cafe, uh, including your own food, the islanders provided generously for them. So again, we see God at work here. It's no small thing, is it, to make Uh, packed lunches for 276 people uh, for two weeks, Uh, never mind breakfasts and dinners and everything else. But God's power is at work uh, in Paul, and they are moved to respond. So God provided for his work to go on. Uh, And if we just uh, drift down a little bit into next week's passage, as Luke ties up some loose ends, just a few details of the stops they made. Down in verse 14, we find six little words. Look down into verse 14. And so we came to Rome. There's a lot in that word, so, isn't there? Uh, It means in this way. And so, in this way, (laughs) by these things, we came to Rome. So what's in that word? Well, beating, arrest, imprisonment, trial, assassination attempts, transfers, trials, two more years in prison, another assassination plot, another trial, a hearing, a sea journey, a shipwreck, a snake bite, three months of healings and rest, resupply, and an uneventful final leg. In this way, we came to Rome. (laughs) And so we came to Rome. Uh, Even those years of transition between Jerusalem and Rome have been filled with all sorts of difficulties and pains and problems and reasons to doubt and even disbelieve. But the sovereignty of God has stretched out over all of it like a great big warm blanket. Um, or the sovereignty of God has stretched out underneath it all like a, 
a solid foundation. Again and again, God has shown that he's in control, he's working out his purposes, he's keeping his promises, he's acting in his timing. And more than that, God has demonstrated that he is good, that he is merciful, that he is gracious, and that above all, his business is to overcome death with life. That's who he is. That's what he does. So look, we're almost done, but as we face uh, uncertainties of our own, perhaps medical tests or exam results or job security or COVID or any number of other worries or desperate troubles, what are we going to do? How are we going to get through? Well, we can have the confidence that comes from knowing that we have a God in control, a God who is good, a God who keeps his promises, and a God who finishes what he starts. That never means that things will be easy. How difficult it was for Paul, this journey from Jerusalem to Rome over two and a half years. Uh, Doesn't mean that there will definitely be happy endings in this life. Although in God's grace there often are, and we do well to, to notice them. What it does mean, more than anything, is that when it comes to our greatest enemy, death itself, we're guaranteed a happy ending if we're following the Lord Jesus. The God who overcame death in a storm and a shipwreck and a snake bite is the God who overcame death at the cross and the empty tomb. He's the God who overcomes death with life completely, finally, absolutely, and forever. Our lives might be filled with all sorts of trouble, but as, you know, just as we know that Luke recorded their arrival in Rome, so we are guaranteed to be able to say one day, and so... I came to heaven. And so, in this way, by these things, by all those troubles, by way of all those difficulties, I came to heaven. Let's pray for help to trust him, and then we're going to, uh, we're going to finish. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the way the people of Malta got to see you working in the background and got the chance to hear from Paul about the Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can get to know you more as we read the Bible together. Help us to see that you are a great and loving God, a God we can trust, and a God who is bringing us home. And we pray, God, our Redeemer, you have delivered us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your Son. Grant that as by his death he has recalled us to life, so by his continual presence in us, he may raise us to eternal joy. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.